Ladies and gentlemen, in the blue corner, standing at a sleek 5'11", 245 pounds, the tumultuous tempest of technique, Thomas Lilly. And in the red corner, at a curvaceous 5'11", 315 pounds, the jovial juggernaut of judgment, John Cheryl Sheridan. A meeting of the masters of mastication turn your attention as they delve deep into all things lifting and more. This is Peak Speak. Not everyone can have a perfect bracket, but you can have the perfect set of bowls this tournament season. With the sponsors of today's show, Manscaped, the leaders in below-the-waist grooming have just launched their ultra-premium collection to give you the total champion hygiene routine. After sweating out the games, make sure that you lather up head-to-toe with this all-in-one skin and hair kit to have your body and balls smelling final for fresh. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com, use the code PEAKSPEAK for 20% off plus free shipping. This is a Cinderella story you're not going to want to miss. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code PEAKSPEAK. Make sure you call on Manscaped this tournament season on or your bracket won't be the only thing that's busted. We can talk about our good friends at Prism Coffee Co. though, because they have some new stuff that I've been sampling. I they actually the two Prism boys or two of the Prism boys, Jono and Jack, came to Dragon Dreaming with us, so I didn't have to make coffee all weekend. It was amazing. Oh nice. What did they bring? Uh so they brought there's a Kenyan Rabari PB that's like a greeny foresty logo it is fucking delightful amazing uh, they made it all like black but uh, having it with milk as well was great and there's an Ethiopian Isla Bombi bomb that's also really delicious um, and I would suggest you use both of them not in combination but separately to adequately caffeinate your life Exactly. Use the code PEAKSPEAK, get a sick discount. That's the key, my friends. That's the key. Amazing. How are you, John Sheridan? It's been a while. It has been a while. It would appear that, you know, we're in our like three-year lull patch. I don't know how many years <laughs> we've been doing this, but it's there's definitely a point at which I'm sure we've slowed down a little bit. Uh, but, you know, life gets busy. Yeah, uh, I think it's just been a, a case of clashing priorities, uh, but I think we're both over that little hump and hopefully it's more... Uh, more frequent from here again. Yeah, more but that's also, that's also what we said two weeks ago or three weeks ago when we released the last one. So I'm not convinced it will be. Don't take our word for it. We are, at best, flaky people. And that's yeah. what you got to deal with. I'm positive. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm positive too, but I'm also a realist. <laughs> uh, so yeah, life's pretty good down here. We're like a few weeks out from GPC States and then a couple of weeks after that, we've got a big novice comp that's already Sick. all sold out and ready to go, which is cool. Um, How many lifters at each? Uh, we only got 30 first states. I sort of didn't want to run a 35-person uh, meet because I'd rather run two full flights than three small flights. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we just capped it at 30, and that will be nice and small, which is easy. Uh, but then our novice comp, we've got 60-something for, uh, mm-hmm. and Stefan's coming down, and it's going to be a good time. What date Actually, is that? The 22nd of May. I'm hoping that um, uh, the prison boys can 
get themselves sorted and turn up with a coffee cart and sling coffees all day because that'll be the perfect combination. Am I allowed to enter as a novice? Dude, go nuts. If your body will hold up for that much more lifting <laughs> between <laughs> now and then. <laughs> we, we all know that's not happening, so. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, yeah, man, life's good. How's life up north? More gyms? More yeah. setups? Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the time people hear this, uh, Zero Brisbane will officially be open. We built the gym on the weekend just gone, and um, we're opening officially on, on Tuesday after the Easter weekend. Uh, so that's exciting. Um, have you absolutely sick of putting machines together? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a, life has been made easier by an amazing team of people that have uh, that have yeah, all chipped in. Sure. You know, it's not a it's not a small task putting putting a gym together, um, especially you know, out of boxes like that. It's not like you were moving equipment from an old facility to a new one. Like, isn't most of that stuff you had to build it all from scratch? Yeah, pretty much everything yeah um and that shit the, is brutal the the extra hurdles we had was the building we're in is about four hundred and thirty thousand years old um and <laughs> we are in we are in a lower level so the way it works is like the entrance is street level and then you go oh, down a yeah, flight yeah. of stairs into to get like into the, the basement gym. sort of thing yeah so we've got two options right, i hear it never floods in brisbane so you never no. we've got two options we've got a flight of stairs to get down there um or a service elevator Oh, yeah, uh, the service elevator was not super safe or super rated to a great deal of weight yeah. and the floor between the loading dock and the service elevator is potentially the oldest rottenest timber in the world um, and so we went through the floor very quickly yeah um, gross people who don't know i have a really bad run of falling through floors i fell through a deck in south africa and messed my leg up real bad and then a few months later fell through another floating floor in a gym while we were moving some equipment so we fell through this floor not too bad just a little bit uh, but then we had to make like a makeshift um a makeshift floor to wheel stuff across into the service elevator um, otherwise we would have had all this equipment just kind of stranded in this random loading dock so there were yeah, a couple man. of hurdles to get over but um when you're building a gym you very 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 quickly wish that you are opening like a bedding goods store rather than something that's know, full of heavy weights mattresses are real fucking awkward no no just bedding goods not, oh, not bedding goods like yeah. sheets and shit sheets yeah, cool. yeah duvets pillows no mattresses are the fucking worst yeah yeah I, that's what I'd i thought rather, i was like man what are you talking about i'd rather I'd, move a mono yeah like, exactly yeah yeah exactly and that. <laughs> that reminds me of um the 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 Gold Coast years of uh, GPC Nationals where yes. we had to carry those fucking monoliths yes. down that flight of stairs to Yuck. get to the truck. Oh, my God. That was one of the most miserable powerlifting experiences I've ever had. Horrible. Was carrying monoliths down a staircase with like a right angle bend in it at one point and a low roof with a horrific hangover on the Monday after GPC Nationals has run for like five days. So when when I ran the the first like age nationals, yeah, that was was that twenty sixteen. Twenty sixteen, yeah. We we carried my my monolift was bigger than the ones that Scott was using, and yeah, it, yeah. we had ten miller clearance on all four sides getting through that gate at the bottom of yeah, those stairs, yeah. and it took like an hour wild. to get through. Yeah, yeah, that's that is something I'd rather just never have to do again. <laughs> so we're actually we're running APL nationals and drug tested worlds in that same hotel. Yeah, that's such a beautiful um, full circle moment yeah, of yeah. powerlifting. I'm so stoked for that. I'm and actually, the, I think I'm coming up for that. One of my uh, clients is competing at 
The beauty be is that the service elevators fit a combo rack. And Oof. so there will there will be no carrying heavy equipment upstairs. It'll be service Combos are also so much easier to so deal much with easier. than fucking monos. Like a mono is not bad if you just have to shift it off a platform and put it in a corner, which yeah. is like what we do. Like it takes us 30 seconds. Like yeah. four guys, bang, just in the corner. Drag it, sweat. quick lift, you're done. Yeah, yeah. Don't carrying knock it the upstairs. camera over. Yeah, no. Different Never. story. Yeah, yeah. No, gross. <laughs> Different story. Uh, anyway, speaking of big competitions and things like that, um, because we're super organized and professional podcasters, we had a 30 second discussion about the topics we would talk about today. And, um, I mentioned talking about the idea of peaking cycles and, and those few key weeks before a powerlifting meet that everyone really enjoys. Cause it's always the fun bit of the powerlifting prep cycle, but, uh, also has a propensity to potentially either not save, but certainly salvage a shitty prep or mm. really ruin a really excellent training cycle. Mm. For sure. Um, it's an interesting thing because I think on on almost every account, it's easier to get a peak right than it is to get a peak wrong if you go by like the basic principles of peaking. Yep. Um, but what it requires is that you stick to the plan. Yes. And so many peaks are either ruined or... Uh, ruined or not the best that they could be because of just straying from a plant from yeah. just like and it's, ego. It's, e- it's ego that is the thing that most lifters i've had experience with have had to fight against in mm. a peaking block because if you let your ego take charge that's when you stray from the plan in a way that ruins your powerlifting mate yeah so our, our plan was to just go through our top three things that um can really impact negatively upon your peak because we've spoken about peaking from just a mechanical standpoint like how peaking works we've spoken about uh, mindset around peaking but if we're talking about like the what nots to do uh this is what it's all about so where are we starting with number one uh the funny thing is we talked about all three of these and they've just left my head completely um i remember the third one what was the first one we were going to talk about uh, overestimating your capabilities and yep. and being unrealistic in your expectations of what you can achieve in that time period because uh-huh. the reality is you know regardless of how you program your powerlifting clients uh most powerlifting coaches aren't going to have you in something that looks like a peaking style for more than like four or five weeks Mm -hmm. in most cases uh you know if you really want to stretch it out you'd go maybe six weeks but then it's probably part of that isn't as pure of a peaking cycle you know that's the the transition phase rather than the, the peak itself but uh yeah i think there's there's a lot of sort of mythical hoodoo guru bullshit around peaking about how it's like some magic secret source that's gonna suddenly make you way fucking stronger than you were at the end of the last block of training like six weeks out from your meet and i think that's the it's that mindset that often ruins people's expectations because there's this yeah desire to suddenly get 10 percent stronger in the last four weeks Mm-hmm. The, the reality is you're not getting any stronger in the four or five weeks before a powerlifting meet. What you're doing is getting better at executing the skill mm-hmm. and therefore you can present more of your strength on the competition platform when it matters. Yeah, absolutely. A big part of it just comes down to understanding that um, during the peak... 
Sorry, my dog just came in. Now he's going out. Uh, during the That's peak, right, my dog was growling at the cleaners who were out in the gym at the moment <laughs> from before, so it's fine. Yeah, during, during the peak, you're trying to figure out what you're capable of now rather than um, just unlock a dream number. And so yes. a lot of people will go into the peak being like, at the comp, I want to squat this, and then start trying to hit numbers that would mirror what they can squat rather than being at the comp, I want to squat as much as possible. And each peaking session is leading towards being as strong as possible, like a, a relative intensity rather than a fixed. I want to squat 300. I'm going to do 285, 295, 300 in the gym and then go to the competition. And it can set you up to be like, okay, week one of the peak, bad session because you're overshot. But you keep in the back of your mind, nah, it's just a bad session. I still have to end this number <laughs> yeah. next week bad session overshot and then you miss the opportunity to actually peak to actually yeah. practice that skill of lifting heavy weights because you just keep trying to max out yeah um so yeah it's it's less about what you want to do and it's okay to want to do something uh, but remember that the actual process is about unlocking the ability to do that uh, which means most of the peak you know the, the first couple of weeks before you do the big part of the peak is kind of undershooting your capability mm. You know, sit, sitting a little bit shy. If you're doing singles the whole way through, you know, sitting at RP nine, RP nine point yeah. five, or something like that. You know, you're not going to a max in the yeah. comp in in the gym. That's the whole point of the comp. Yeah, and that's that's where I wanted to touch on both RPE as a really useful tool in this scenario because it helps you like from a coaching perspective, at least it helps you clarify the intention of those singles, right? Because if you just put like a percentage in there, everyone's going to be like calculating their percentage off their dream number instead of mm -hmm. a realistic number. And then when they take into account the RPE, you, you can be a little bit more strict about it. Obviously, a good coach still has to be able to moderate what that looks like for each individual because we all know that you have chronic undershooters and chronic overshooters and adjusting accordingly is really important. Um, the other thing I really like in this scenario is using both RPE and previous training blocks worth of data uh, for things like an estimated one rep max. Mm -hmm. And the misconception with that uh, estimated one rep max is that, predicted daily max, whatever you want to call it, is that you're like, it's an accurate number for like how strong are you right now? The way I use it in, in my coaching is about uh, it being a measure of progress over time so we can see trends, right? So mm -hmm. going into a peaking cycle, I'm not using that number as gospel. I am looking at that number as an indicator of roughly where we're at and then adding in the last couple of weeks of training data and being able to look more closely at like what, it, how did it move, those sort of things. And mm -hmm. then, you know, a good coach by that point has a pretty good idea of what you're going to be capable of. Like for almost everyone I've ever coached, I don't think they've ever got to the platform and done a number that was like, oh shit, I didn't know you could do that. It's always been like, yeah, that was roughly what I thought. Maybe that was at the top end of what I thought was capable, but mm -hmm. I don't think I've ever been drastically surprised because eventually you just develop a good enough eye to know how much is left in an individual lifter based on the speed of the bar and the way their form breaks down and all of those sort of things. Exactly. As a coach, as you know, you've got a large sample size, and if you're consistent with the way that you prepare a peak for people of various experience levels, you create this great degree of predictability. Mm. And so it becomes it becomes okay or more relevant to use fixed numbers in conjunction with guided auto regulation. Like that, that makes a great deal of sense to me. So, for example, um, it's no secret, but I'll say it again that most of my uh, program is fixed number percentage based. That's how yeah. I program most of the time. 
um, when it comes to a peak, that's a lot less relevant because we don't know exactly what this person is capable of. And we need to provide them with the freedom to auto-regulate, especially if you're throwing in other uh, other factors that may influence someone's performance. Like if they're using knee wraps, now are they extra tight? Now are they a new pair of knee wraps? Are they using performance enhancing drugs? Is this going to, you know, conflate or deflate what they're the, they're uh, capable of doing? There's, there's other factors that require an element of auto-regulation. So I actually use three factors here. I use, uh, sorry, three elements. I'm like, Here's, you know, your two singles at a fixed number. So I provide the fixed number and that's my way of saying it should be around this number. Yeah. And then I provide an RPE. It should be yeah. in, around this number and it should feel like an RPE nine. And then yeah. I provide a range and it's like, however, it might be a little bit less or a little bit more. Yeah. And it gives people rather than just the RPE where they might accidentally overshoot or undershoot and then kick themselves about it. It yeah. gives them a, a, a tangible target to work towards. It takes some of the guesswork out of it. But that's because I know them as a lifter. I know their history. Yeah, yeah. I know approximately what they're going to be capable of. It's not a um, uh, those those ranges, for example, it's not some um, sophisticated calculation that I use. It's just my knowledge of my own peaking style and their training. Yeah. And so I use basically that exact method for almost every aspect of the programming that I do. Mm -hmm. I use uh, like a percentage with a number of reps in an RPE range, uh, like you know number. Mm -hmm. And then uh, in a more general training block, like earlier in a peak, I'll have a target number and a low and a high range. Uh, in a peaking cycle, I generally just have a low and a high, right? Like I, I shrink that percentage to be rather than plus or minus two and a half percent, I've got like plus two percent or something like that. So the, mm -hmm. the window is much smaller because we're trying to be, like you said, more precise about it mm -hmm. uh, because we're working towards a, a specific date and a performance. We've got to be a bit more predictable. Whereas earlier in a training cycle, I'm happy for there to be a bit more leeway to auto-regulate based on how you mm -hmm. feel on any given day. Um, so yeah, I, and I, that's where I use things like last week's predicted daily max to suggest the range for this week and things like that, because it allows them to then just, especially the less experienced lifters who would struggle with a, just a pure RPE prescription of like what, two by eight at eight. That's something that a lot of lifters wouldn't really know and would generally spend a couple of weeks undershooting the shit out of it because they're not comfortable with, with choosing those numbers. Mm. So I've found that having that range there, even though it's largely arbitrary, is really effective in providing guidance along that in, in all stages of the process. Mm. It's almost a way of reassuring the lifter as well that if you have yeah. to auto regulate down, it's like, well, I'm still within my range. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I'm still I'm still on track, even though yeah. the, the concept of being on track in a peak is kind of ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Um, because again, it's, it's relative intensity. It's just the, the yeah. process of practicing. You don't have to hit specific numbers. Yeah. Your training has already been done. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and I think that probably leads nicely into the second point where we were going to talk about uh, the second way to, to ruin your powerlifting peak is to suddenly try and do a bunch of new things or try and save a really shitty powerlifting training cycle by doing heaps of extra work or suddenly changing a bunch of exercises and mm -hmm. all those like things that on the like very thin surface of it you could probably justify with some form of ill-informed reductionist logic but ultimately they're just a recipe for you to have an even worse time on the platform than maybe you were going to have anyway. Hmm. 
it's yeah it, it can be difficult for lifters as well because in the peaking phase we're really trying to eliminate building fatigue as a result you feel fresh you're also at the in the training phase where you feel the strongest because that's what you're training for and it's nice to feel strong and you want to do things that showcase your strength so it's tempting to do a random strict curl against a wall you know to see if you can beat your mate on the other side of the world or something like that um it's it's easy to just throw in dumb shit when you're feeling fresh and you're feeling good oh this can't hurt um take it from someone who's hurt a lot it can <laughs> and, it, and it does hurt no 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 uh, but you know what i'm saying right you know it's yeah it, it's uh never wise to just randomly uh break the mold and, and do something way off uh, and this happens with water cuts as well um but the same concept people will go by history and not realize that history is sometimes really flawed it's mm. like oh, last time i did this in a peak and you want me to do this that doesn't make sense to me it's like trust trust the system trust the coaching trust what we're doing here because we understand yeah. this maybe every peak that you've done in that way was actually less successful but it's consistent and so yeah. you don't know any other way. Uh, people do it with water cutting all the time. Oh, I can cut 10 kilos because I did it last time. It's like, no, th there may be a, a whole host of uh, uh, confounding factors that might help or hinder that right now. Yeah, uh, so exactly. You have to go by principle, not necessarily always by history because history can, um, uh, can be full of errors or full of things that really influence the process in a negative way. Yeah, and I mean, that ties into the first point about the unrealistic expectations, right? Like mm. if you're, if at some point in your powerlifting training, you've had a really successful peak where you have hit numbers that were, you know, 10% above what you've been hitting in training on the competition platform, that doesn't mean that becomes the norm, right? Like that is then suddenly you're in this position where that expectation's the thing that's going to ruin it is you've had like a, a mediocre training cycle maybe you got a bit sick maybe you had a few niggles and so you like you come in feeling not great but not terrible uh and then because you have this really high expectation of what you've got out of a peaking block in the past suddenly that unrealistic expectation toilets your performance on the platform because you're expecting so much more out of it mm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to see people who consistently peak too hard too fast um, and then end up peaking early and having poor meat performance think that they peak well because they always do really well in their training cycles. Yeah. It's like, but every time I, I peak like this, you know, I hit PRs in my training blocks. Like, that's great. What about your comp? Yeah. You know? Like, all you have to do is shift exactly what you're doing forward a little bit so yeah. that when you're hitting your PRs, it's actually when it matters then you've got a great peak. Like, Man, I have, a, I have a great story about this. Like the, the heaviest deadlift I've ever pulled, I pulled 282 and a half, two weeks out from a meet. And I f f fucking ruined my meet. Like I, I peaked two and a half weeks too early. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like just completely fucking ruined it. Greatest fucking deadlift session I've ever had. <laughs> like it was amazing. I still fucking love that memory. Ruined the comp. I think I pulled 260 at the comp. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. And it's, that's the story I like telling. Cause it's like, yeah, it's, it's, all well and good i share that deadlift video every now and again because it, it's a great deadlift i was really happy with it yeah but it was in the fucking gym <laughs> it doesn't mean shit and uh and it ruined my comp performance uh-huh I, uh, I did the same thing in 2020 with that equipped comp um and this was just more uh over relaxed than anything the yeah. whole time i told myself i had x amount of like blocks of x amount of weeks yeah. and i'd never actually looked at the calendar <laughs> I, I just created this story in my head being like, yep, four-week block here, four-week block there, three-week peak done. Uh, yeah. And as it turned out, 
that wasn't the case at all. <laughs> and so I did an, an amazing block of training, getting ready to peak, and then the the competition date didn't line up, and I'm like, I've messed this up. And so oh, like I, I did great lifts in the gym. Comp day, it wasn't bad, but it certainly wasn't anywhere near what I was capable of doing if I just moved that peak forward, just because I timing error because I didn't care about the comp. And that's it's actually the thing that I love most about the powerlifting coaching process is that it's so specific to that one day and <laughs> there are so many factors that go into it either happening or it doesn't and like my favorite thing in the world is to have a lifter who you've had the discussion with them five weeks out where they're like i don't know if i can do this mate like i'm really sore and everything feels really heavy and like i feel really weak and you're like no no good it's meant to, it's meant to be like that we have five weeks out that's what you're meant to feel like and then they come in on comp day and have a fucking beautiful lifetime mm. pb performance it is genuinely one of the most satisfying parts of what i do for a living mm-hmm. uh and a big part of that satisfaction is actually incredibly narcissistic because i'm like fuck yeah i timed it right <laughs> like mm-hmm. you know i got it like we got it right it's like yes tick that one that process worked like mm-hmm. let's maybe not fuck with it next time see what happens and then the next time it's like ah oh, it didn't work at all like, fuck I, I really enjoy the problem solving aspect of that and like you said you get pretty good at having a consistent framework that works but then every now and again you're going to have a lifter who's a little bit outside of the model that works perfectly with the way you think about things and then being able to tweak things for that is yeah it's something i find really fun Mm. yeah yeah and it's the it's like it's the reason we all talk about meat prs being the ones that count Mm. because you can line up the perfect testing opportunity in your gym to come in smash a deadlift pb and then be like actually no i don't feel it today i'll come back two days from now yes. and do it and you're like all right cool i'm ready to go fuck you yeah. hmm. pb can't do that for a comp that's not right. how it works uh, and that's that's the cool bit yeah exactly exactly it is it is really much a game of get this person as they as strong as they can be and aim that to not just fall on one day but fall into a particular window so even if you know it's on a different day or something goes wrong in terms of they don't feel well that day or whatever at least they're still in that peaked window so even on their worst day of performance they're still able to perform well yeah exactly um, uh yeah it's it's fascinating man i i love it mm. um we kind of touched on this but the third point was to not test in your peak because again yeah. it's so tempting while you're feeling fresh and while you're feeling strong your peaking is not about maxing out Um, it's not about feeling the weight that you're going to lift in the comp like the comp is about unlocking at the new weight it's about doing the most that you possibly can and you want that to happen in the comp not in the gym yeah yeah and the way i sort of approach that is to especially with the more experienced lifters is to only ever be in a position where we're like planning for a second attempt like you know this is the number that we know you can open out and crush this is the number that we'll probably hit for a second attempt and then we'll call everything else based on how it unfolds on the day Mm. and so from my point of view we're only ever going to get to sort of within a shooting distance of that second attempt in the gym because anything more than that's just a waste of effort in Mm. the two weeks or three weeks prior to a meet uh i don't know if that's how you do things or whether you approach it slightly differently but um i'd be interested to know um or is that too far up the secret source of the zero coaching development program and now we'll just cut to an ad no to be honest i zoned out a little bit in the middle of what you were saying and so i don't really know how to respond because i missed half of it 
that's all right. I was talking about that I only really plan for a second attempt, and then that's the window that we're going to hit somewhere in the gym in the last couple of weeks, and then oh, everybody yes. else is called on the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, attempts are funny because, like, yeah, third attempts, you, you just don't know. You, you can't call it based on the day. You go in with a mindset of, like, okay, we're aiming for this. That's going to yeah. inform your first and seconds. Uh, but for me, the heaviest week of a peak falls between a second and third attempt in my eyes. Yeah. So if you're going through a 350 kilo squat, we're thinking 340 is your second. We're probably going to hit something between 340 and 347 in the gym as the heaviest squat of the the peak, yeah. something like that. Um, and that's normally two weeks before the competition. Then the week before is something a little bit lighter as we start to taper down. But again, totally depends on the experience of the lifter. Yeah, yeah. Um, and how and big and strong they are. And for sure. Are they taking... Uh, drugs are they cutting heaps of weight like there are so many factors that go into mm. how you manipulate those things to account for lining all of those things up to get the best performance on the day yeah and an and inexperienced lifter we're probably not going to go beyond what um, we'd see as a second attempt because an inexperienced lifter is going to be doing so much more work in the peak anyway doing more reps and doing more sets and all of that sort of stuff um, the, the interesting thing about peaking too is just like this delicate uh, balance and mindset uh, the like on paper it's easy it's like if you fail a lift in the peak who fucking cares because I mean you could do next to nothing in a peak and have exposure to the skill and still pretty lift pretty strong or you can miss a bunch of s sessions and still uh, peak your your strength quite well um, if you have uh, the skill of the lift itself even without um, heaps of exposure to the specific skill uh, but it only takes a few failed lifts to really put a um, huge negative spin on someone's mindset. Uh, so we had um, Big Coops did that 425 bench whenever it was, you know, a few That's weeks ago. Um, we didn't train for that. We didn't peak for that because our, our eyes have been set on, on Pro Raw. So he did one testing session in that shirt uh, in the gym where we worked up to an opener um, and then he went or he, he worked up to 400 sorry um and then he went to that comp and pressed 425 but he tweaked his wrist and he tweaked his it makes me physically sick to think of that it's like so much just work. it's insane they used uh i think they were using a texas power bar which is really whippy and Ooh. he really struggled with it yeah um, otherwise he probably would have done more but you he almost need to be benching on a fucking like sports craft squat bar with I that know. sort of weight on the first attempt of 425, it flew back towards his face and his hand got caught in the rack. Like it actually, he's lucky he didn't lose a fucking finger. His, his yeah, finger actually got caught between the bar and the rack. Fuck. So it messed up his hand. He hurt his wrist and the the tension of the the shirt around his arms has given him some weird arm pain. Like for, nervy pain or yeah, something. For yeah, for the last few weeks. Um, so his benching, raw benching since that comp has been terrible not terrible but terrible for him at this yeah, stage yeah, yeah like, nothing terrible for him is terrible for any normal it, human. yeah like he, <laughs> he pressed 300 raw last night but it was oh, god it was ugly and so like it's been this delicate balance where the coaching is not technique or strength at no, this no. stage it's it's keeping his head in the game and being like we're balancing getting some graded exposure before this competition but also not doing too much to exacerbate the, this pain and try and get it to go away. And it is going away. And hopefully in the next week and a half between now and competition, he's able to um, at least match his previous best or push it a tiny bit further. Yeah, man. And I, and I think there's definitely an art form in the coaching realm for 
the ability to be fluid with your final few weeks of training to manage things like niggles and mm. and stuff like that because it is a fine balance right like you know the the bench elbow pain is the most common one is like how are you managing your squatting and benching load in the weeks leading up to and in the weeks of your peaking block and what where's the balance between getting enough heavy benching in that you can bench well in the comp and not getting so much in that you just end up with super cranky elbows and you can't actually bench properly in the comp you know like it being able to have a a fairly consistent process that you run through with most lifters and then being able to understand your process well enough to be able to then adjust on the fly and call those audibles as necessary that's where the i think the real art comes into it absolutely i think that's a good place to end it cool amazing Give us five stars. Do all that. We love you. Goodbye. Bye.